Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Criminal Discourse Podcast. I'm Trish. And I'm Maddie. And we're back again with you this week with another all-new episode. We hope you've all been well and taking care of yourself as our country and the world starting to reopen. But I'd like to take a moment and thank some of our listeners from the continent of Africa. So thank you listeners in Kenya, Zimbabwe, South Africa, Nigeria, Egypt, Uganda, Senegal, and Botswana, and also two islands off the coast of Africa, the Republic of Cobo Verde, so that is an island country west of Senegal, and Meritus, an island in the Indian Ocean east of Madagascar. So thank you very much for taking the time to listen. We also want to let you know that there are ways to reach out to us. So we have seen, you know, more reviews coming through, more listener emails and suggestions. So if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do so through our website, criminaldiscoursepodcast.com. You can also find all of our show notes and resources there as well. And also just a little bit about us and a contact page so you can get in touch. And then we also have our Facebook, Criminal Discourse Podcast, and our Instagram, Criminal Disc Pod and a YouTube channel where we provide little snippets of episodes and small videos that we post. So check it out there as well. Okay. So are you ready for our episode, Maddie? I know you didn't review the notes, so you're going into this cold just like our listeners. Yes, I am. I'm I'm already enthralled. Just you telling a story enthralls me, Trish. That's why we started this. You need more things in your life. Okay. <laughs> So our story begins in Sioux City, Iowa on May 9th, 1938 with the birth of Carol Edward Cole. Now, Sioux City is located in northwest Iowa, and we did have another case in Iowa. I believe it was back in the beginning when we first started our podcast. I believe that was the Velisca Axe Murders. So if you haven't listened to that one, check it out. But Sioux City is currently the fourth largest city in Iowa, and it is the furthest point upstream that cargo ships can travel along the Missouri River. And during Prohibition, it gained the nickname of Little Chicago because of its reputation of being able to obtain alcohol beverages. Could you imagine still being in prohibition now? No, COVID and <laughs> prohibition? <laughs> I don't think That's I That's a double whammy. <laughs> Nobody's making it. We're done. So Carol Edward Cole was the second of three children born to Laverne, who was his dad, and Vesta Cole. So he normally went by the nickname Eddie because he didn't like his first name, Carol. So wait, dad is Laverne, son is Carol? Mm-hmm. Okay. For whatever reason, this story has a lot of people named names that you normally wouldn't associate with their gender. Oh, this is going to be fun. I'm going to be so confused by the end of this. So after the birth of his younger sister, the family packed up and moved to Richmond, California, where Laverne found work with a local shipyard. Now, unfortunately, this was right before the start of World War II, and Laverne was soon drafted into the military. So while Laverne was off fighting for our country, his wife, Vesta wasn't really keeping the home fires burning. She had started to have multiple affairs with a variety of men. And Vista would often take Eddie with her and he would be present when she was having sexual relations with these men. And afterwards, she would threaten him repeatedly and physically abuse him to back up her threats. She did not want him telling his father about what she had been up to. Now, there were two other children and I didn't read anything that she ever took them along. She really, for whatever reason, just took Eddie with her to these affairs. So on other occasions, Vesta would make Eddie dress up like a girl and 
and parade him around in front of her friends, bullying him and taunting him, calling him mama's little girl. Now, all of these abuses started planting the seeds for Eddie's lifelong hatred of women. So the physical abuse stopped, though, when his father returned from war. I believe the emotional abuse, the mental abuse continued, but the physical abuse had stopped. Now, at school, the taunting continued, but this time it was by his peers when they made fun of him for having a girl's first name. All of this caused Eddie Cole to be very withdrawn and become a very angry young man. In 1947, at the age of nine, Eddie and a classmate, his name was Dwayne, had gone to the Richmond's Yacht Harbor with a group of boys. And it was at this harbor that Dwayne had started making fun of Eddie. So after the other boys had left, Eddie, who had just been simmering with rage, held Dwayne under the water until he died. Now, Eddie was never charged with this murder because authorities thought it was an accidental drowning and they closed the case. Wait, how old was Carol at this point? Eddie was nine. So this wouldn't come out until years later that the boy's death was anything but an accident. So Eddie dropped out of high school his junior year, and he started to drift in and out of menial jobs. And he'd also started drinking heavily. So he got caught numerous times for committing petty offenses and would be in and out of jail for various crimes such as burglary, arson, car theft, vagrancy. But in September of 1957, Eddie decided to join the Navy. But that didn't last too long. And soon he was dishonorably discharged in October of 58. So he didn't even make it a year. And this was for stealing guns that he would use to shoot at cars along the San Diego highways. So Eddie's mental state seemed to have started to deteriorate around this time in his early 20s. And Eddie committed himself to various mental health institutions off and on over a three-year period starting in 1960. And it was in 1960 that Eddie, after being dishonorably discharged, moved back to Richmond, actually, I think, into his parents' home. And he ended up attacking two couples that were out parking along a local lover's lane. And he had attacked them with a hammer. Now, right afterwards, he had flagged down a Richmond police officer and he had told him, I don't think he necessarily told him about attacking these couples, but he told him he was having violent fantasies that involved strangling women. So this cop is like, okay, you need to get yourself committed to a state mental hospital. So Eddie did. He signed himself into the Napa State Hospital for 90 days. But while he was there, he didn't talk about his traumatic childhood or his dark fantasies. And he was released in March of 1961. So in October of 61, Eddie's now 23. He requested psychiatric help once again while serving a six-month sentence for auto theft. And he was committed to the Atascadero State Hospital. And he stayed there until he was transferred to the Stockton State Hospital in September of 62. And it was while he was hospitalized that he received a diagnosis as a psychopath. At Stockton State Hospital, a Dr. Weiss wrote of Eddie Cole, and this is a quote, He seems to be afraid of the female figure and cannot have intercourse with her first, but must kill her before he can do it. Now, Eddie was granted release by Dr. Weiss in April of 63, diagnosed with an antisocial personality disorder, but this disorder posed no threat to others. Wait, what? <laughs> so he fantasizes about killing people. Obviously, if you would think that if the psychiatrist had had that diagnosis, that he would have shared these fantasies of hurting women and strangling and these things, and he's released? Well, he hadn't necessarily done that to anyone. He thought that these were just fantasies, and he posed no threat to society. So this would seem to be a pattern with Cole's hospitalizations, that once he was diagnosed 
with a personality disorder that was considered untreatable at the time, he was often quickly discharged. So in 1963, after his release from Stockton State Hospital, Cole traveled to Texas. His older brother, Richard, was living there at the time. So for a change of scenery and to get out of California, and it was in Dallas that he met and soon married Neville Billy Whitworth. She was a stripper who also was an alcoholic. And they were together for two years when in August of 65, Cole convinced himself that Billy was sleeping with the other occupants of the motel they had been living in. So he he decided to light the motel on fire. So soon after, I believe Billy lived. I don't believe anybody was killed in this fire. And Cole was soon arrested and charged with arson and sent to jail for two years. So upon his release from the jail in Texas, he travels to Lake Ozark, Missouri. And he wasn't there long before he was rearrested in May of 67. He's now 29 years old. And this time it was for attempting to strangle an 11-year-old girl by the name of Virginia Roden. Cole had apparently seen her out in public. He picked her out at random, followed her home, and it was while she was sleeping he crept inside her bedroom and tried to strangle her. But she screamed and fought him off, and that scared him, and he ran off. Now, he was soon apprehended and charged with attempted murder, and he would end up serving five years in a Missouri prison. So it's after his release from prison that Cole travels to Reno, Nevada, where once again, he attempted to strangle two more women he had picked up in local dive bars. And it was after these failed attempts that he signed himself over for psychiatric services. While in treatment in Sparks, Nevada, he was identified by a psychiatrist as being a malingerer. And that's one who fakes symptoms in order to get out of something like work or jail. So this psychiatrist, Dr. Felix Pat diagnosed him with an antisocial personality disorder, just like all the other psychiatrists, also with being an alcoholic with a compulsion to strangle and rape women. So Dr. Peblis found that Cole had used his illnesses to get out of difficulties that he was facing at a particular time. So if he didn't have any money, he signed himself into psychiatric treatment. If he was getting in trouble with the law, he signed himself into psychiatric treatment. He felt that Cole was highly intelligent and very manipulative. But still, he released him from psychiatric services with a bus ticket to get the heck out of Nevada and go back to California, which he did. Oh my goodness. I'm, this is like all those stories because we come across a lot where it's like there's no red flags. You never expect it from someone. And this is just red flag upon red flag upon red flag just yeah. over and over again. I will say I don't know necessarily if Cole's psychiatric records followed him. Because notice, he went to various states where he'd sign himself in. Which maybe that's part of the intelligence. But I mean, I, from what mm -hmm. you're saying, it sounds like he was extremely intelligent. And that every time that, like the uh, psychiatrist said, every time he would get into a sticky situation, he goes into psychiatric care, but he displays that he's not a threat. He gets released. He goes out and tries to strangle somebody. He goes back into psychiatric care in all these different states. Mm -hmm. So now he's back in San Diego, California. And he's not there more than six months when now he starts to act upon his dark fantasies. So on May 7th, 1971, this is two days before his 33rd birthday, Cole ends up meeting Essie Buck in a downtown dive bar. And they decide to go somewhere more private, which turned out to be Cole's car, where he ended up strangling Essie to death. He then placed her body in the trunk of his car and drove her around for about two days before he ended up dumping her body. Now on May 23rd, 1971, so this is over over a little over two weeks later, he picks up another woman. We only know her by her first name, Wilma. Again, this is in a dive bar. They end up leaving, and he ends up strangling her also. 
this time burying her body somewhere outside San Ysidro. There would also be a third woman that Cole would pick up on May 30th. He would have sex with this victim, and then he strangled her to death also. Now, all of Cole's victims had similar traits in common, and this was according to Cole. He talked about how he found his victims. He describes that all of his victims were unfaithful to their husbands or boyfriends. They all approached him when he was in a bar. And these bars were not high-class bars by any means. These were really like dive bars. They would agree to leave with him to go to an isolated location for the purposes of having sex. And they would laugh or make light of their cheating, which reminded him of his adulterous mother. So in July of 73, Cole decided to get married once again because, you know, the first time turned out so well. The whole motel lighting on fire thing? Correct. (laughs) This time to a barmaid by the name of Deanna Paschal, who also happened to be an alcoholic. Now, their relationship was rocky from the start, with the two of them often fighting with Cole leaving for days at a time. And it was during his time away that he would commit some of his murders. And it was also during this time that Cole and Paschal decided to move to Las Vegas, Nevada. So over the next nine years, from 1971 to 1980, Cole would travel to various states and carry out his murderous fantasies. So in 1975, he and Diana are living in Las Vegas. Cole gets a job transporting coins from a local airport to the nearby casino. It's in the summer of 75 that Cole decides, eh, I'm going to steal an entire shipment of coins, and he did, and he took off for Wyoming, leaving his wife behind. And it was in Wyoming in August of 75 that Cole met Marlene, her nickname was T.P. Hammer, at a local dive bar. After a night of drinking, she suggested they leave to have sex, so Cole took her up on her offer and afterwards strangled her, leaving her body dumped on a local hillside. So the next day, fearing he would be discovered, he fled the state and returned back to Las Vegas. In May of 1977, the body of Kathleen Blum was found in the backyard in Las Vegas, Nevada. Blum was known as a local prostitute, and police discovered she had been strangled, but no one was charged with her murder. So November of 77, Cole meets another woman at a bar, this time in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Cole claims that, in this instance, he had woken up after agreeing to spend the night with her and found her dead in the bathtub. Now, what makes us different from all the other murders is that he claims her feet and arms were found in the fridge and slices of her buttocks were found on a skillet on the stove. So Cole claims that he threw her body out with the trash that was collected and taken to a city dump. Now, no one's ever, I think, necessarily been able to verify this murder, but this was through his recollections years later that when he talked about all of his murders. And we have no, like, names or anything like that. Not with the woman in Oklahoma, no. So in August of 1979, Cole met Bonnie Sue O'Neill, and this was back in San Diego, again, at a local dive bar. So. After a night of sex, Cole ends up strangling her and dumping her body in a garbage can behind her building. So a month later, in September of 79, Cole is now 41 years old. This is a little over six years of marriage that he had had to Diana. Cole decides to strangle Diana to death, but apparently he didn't leave the city right away. And it took eight days for a neighbor to call police after this neighbor noticed Cole digging a grave in the crawl space of their apartment building. So police investigated, and they would find Diana's body wrapped in a blanket being stored in a closet. So you're going to love this. So police, for whatever reason, 
decided that Diana had died from her heavy drinking, namely from alcohol poisoning, and they did not rule her case a homicide. What? What year is this? 1979? 1979, yeah. They didn't see the strangulation marks? Apparently not. So although Cole had been detained by police, because again, you're digging a grave and your dead wife's found wrapped in a blanket in the closet, they released him and never charged him with her murder. So along with being manipulative, he's really lucky too. So Cole once again decides to return to Las Vegas, and he soon found work as a truck driver for a religious charity. In November of 79, this was two months after killing his wife, Cole killed Marie Cushman. He had met her in a local bar, had taken her back to a room, and left her there at the Cashball Hotel. So a month later in December, Cole marries for a third time, this time to one of his female co-workers, and it's while they're on their honeymoon, they're pulled over for a traffic offense. So the police run Cole's license, and they find that he didn't have a valid one. And when they figured out his correct name and they ran his name, they find out that he has all these warrants for various parole violations. So you see, for the past seven years, Cole continued to rack up other offenses like drunk driving, passing bad checks, mail theft, and jumping bail. So Cole was jailed until October of 1980. And upon his release, he was bussed to Dallas, Texas. And I don't believe his new wife went with him, which is probably why she's still alive today. So not one month later, in November 12th of 1980, Cole murders 32-year-old Wanda Faye Roberts after picking her up at a Bryant Street bar. Again, one of those dive bars. Her body would be found naked from the waist down behind a clump of trees. She had been strangled to death, but post-mortem results would show that Wanda hadn't been sexually assaulted. So on November 30th, after murdering Wanda and another unknown woman, Cole was found at a scene of his third murder for that month, 43-year-old Sally Thompson. Now her sons, I believe she was divorced, her sons had come to visit her. And when they knocked on her door, they were met by a very disoriented, reeking of whiskey, Eddie Cole. They entered the home and they found their mom lying on the couch face down, naked from the waist down. Now, when police arrived after being contacted by her sons, Cole was taken into custody. And Cole told police he had met Sally at this bar and she invited him over for sex, but he didn't kill her. And according to police, there were no signs of Sally being sexually assaulted. So police were about to let Cole go, believing Sally had died of alcohol poisoning. What was happening in 1980? Like, what the hell? And he did end up getting released. They didn't hold him for this murder. So it wasn't until the next day that a detective noted that Cole's address he had given was to a halfway house for convicted felons. So they're like, wait a minute, there's a little more to this story than he led us to believe. So after being picked up at his job, this time at a Toys R Us warehouse, it was then that Cole confessed not only to Sally's murder, but to his entire history of murders, telling police that he had killed upwards to 35 women. So in April of 1981, Cole went on trial, and he ended up getting found guilty and was sentenced to 25 years to life imprisonment after being convicted of three counts of first-degree murder. Now, Cole had taken the stand in his own defense, and he was actually the only defense witness at his trial. And he told the jury about his sadistic upbringing, and his hatred of women that all started with his mother. He also told them that the women he killed were like he was killing his mother. And he also talked about the killings of other women in California, and that's when he mentioned the woman in Oklahoma. 
the one with the found dead in the bathtub. Mm -hmm. So it was in January of 1984, Cole serving time in this Texas prison, that he gets news that his mother has died. And for whatever reason, this really seemed to have a positive effect on him. And he agreed to face additional murder charges back in Nevada, waiving extradition on March 30th, 1984. So I think at the time, Nevada was trying to extradite him to their state, which has the death penalty. He didn't get the death penalty in Texas. He was just looking at a lot of prison time. Nevada had the death penalty. So what authorities didn't know in Texas was that Cole had been planning to escape from prison, knowing he would most likely be killed in the process. And he was okay with that because he did not want to be kept behind bars. And that kind of goes back to that pattern you were saying where he would sign himself into those psychiatric facilities to get out of jail. Mm -hmm. He didn't want to be kept behind bars. So on August 16th, 1984, Cole appeared in court in Nevada and pleaded guilty to two counts of first-degree murder. Now, he did have a court-appointed attorney who argued with him, like, into the judge, like, listen, he's committing legal suicide by not mounting a defense, by coming in here and pleading guilty. And not even trying, yeah. But Cole didn't care, and the judge took him on his word that he was pleading guilty. So Cole didn't see it that way, stating that he believed in capital punishment and that there was no mitigating circumstances for what he had done, as there was nothing good about him. Can't argue with that. (laughs) (laughs) These were his words. We're going to take you on your word there, Eddie Cole. So again, this death of his mother seemed to, I don't know, kind of lift a cloud and him wanting to take responsibility maybe in a way, but also not end up serving the rest of his life behind bars. So Cole ended up going before a three-judge panel in October of 1984, and this was for the penalty phase. So he pleaded guilty, so now this judging panel was going to pass sentence. And Cole was sentenced to death for the murders of Marie Cushman. Now, there was another victim at this time, Catherine Blum. Her death could not be counted towards the death penalty in Nevada, as they didn't have it until May 1977. So she was ineligible for that. Or I should say he was ineligible for the death penalty for her murder, but he was for Marie Cushman. So on November 6, 1984, Cole is transferred to Carson City to await lethal injection with an execution date of December 6, 1985. Now, while awaiting his execution date, Cole resisted any outside attempts to appeal his conviction. So all of these organizations and attorneys are like, listen, you should appeal. You can appeal. And he turned them down. He said, no, I want to die. So on December 6, 1985, at 2.05 a.m., Carol Edward Cole was strapped down to a table. Needles were inserted into both of his arms. And by 2.07 a.m., he was pronounced dead at the age of 47. Now, this was Nevada's first use of lethal injection. Prior to that, it was the gas chamber. So he was the first one to die by lethal injection. After being pronounced dead, Cole's brain was removed to be studied for scientific research by psychologist Jan Bruner. And the purpose was to see if Cole's brain had any small cuts or lesions, something that might point to the reasons for his criminality. And I remember that case you did, Maddie. Bobby Joe Long. Well, that too. Now, I was thinking of Charles Whitman, the Texas Tower sniper. Yeah. Where when he died, they studied his brain. Yeah. That's true. So all total, Cole admitted to 14 killings, but said there might have been more. 
upwards to 35, but he wasn't sure because he was a really heavy drinker. So he couldn't really remember all the women he may have killed. So if you're interested, there is a book on serial killer Carol Edward Cole entitled Silent Rage, where author Michael Newton conducted eight weeks of interviews with Cole prior to his execution. So that's how we found out about the murder he committed when he was nine years old, because it was through this interview that he admitted that he had drowned this classmate. Oh my so that is the story and life of serial killer Carol Edward Cole. Freaking Vesta. I mean, not to say that it's all her fault, but come on. Well, <laughs> it didn't help. You know, we've had those cases before where we've talked about like a recipe for creating a serial killer. Mm -hmm. You know, when you treat your child horribly, when you cause such childhood trauma and rage and anger, and of course, it probably didn't help that he had a girl's name. This is how he acted out. I mean, you saw his life, how he self-sabotaged everything. I mean, he dropped out of school. He was into drinking. He finally maybe decided to try to go straight and join the Navy. Of course, that didn't last long as he was shooting cars on the San Diego highways. So, I mean, he just was, I don't even know the word. Broken. Lost. Yes, broken. Yeah, that's a good word. He was definitely broken. And I'm not sympathizing. And he paid for his crimes. Don't get me wrong. He killed these women. It's just trying to understand where, Yeah. how can this happen to somebody? Like, how can this monster be created? Mm, we can blame it on Vesta. She's like a Karen. It makes me think of, which is like different because it's not the religious part, but it makes me think of Gain, Edward Gain. Was it Eddie Gain? Who am I thinking of? I don't know. The one that uh, had all the body part. Ed Gein? Ed Gein, yeah. Gein. Gein. Yeah. With the awful mother, Augusta. Yes. Who was the inspiration for Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For Buffalo Bill. Yep. Yeah. There you go. So thank you all so much for listening. Greatly appreciate it. I know we always say that, but we truly, truly do. Do we have a life tip? Oh, yeah. Did you notice I did put out a life tip on Instagram and Facebook this week? I decided to start. <laughs> For this case, ooh, a life tip. Don't abuse your children. They may turn into serial killers would be one. Possibly if you diagnose somebody with an antisocial personality disorder that have violent fantasies of harming women, believe them. Maybe don't put on their record. They're not a threat. Maybe check your potential spouse's psychiatric history. That would be a good one. I don't know how many people do that, though. How do you get hold of your potential spouse's psychiatric history? There's got to be a way. Something. There isn't. No, it's HIPAA. They can't give out that information. Unless they tell you or a family member tells you. Yeah. Though you might want to have multiple conversations with the various family members then <laughs> to make sure. Like, since you can't get the medical records, maybe ask around would be smart. Yeah, kind of goes back how we end our show. Just treat each other with kindness, even your children. You could, you don't want to be responsible for creating a serial killer. Yeah, besides the fact that you probably shouldn't abuse your children, period. Right. <laughs> the Correct. other effect of that could be you create a serial killer. You don't want to do that. All right, everybody. Thank you so much, like I said, for taking the time to listen today. We really appreciate it. And like Maddie said, you can get a hold of us through any of our platforms, through our website, through Facebook, through Instagram, even on YouTube. So as always, if you see something, say something. You might have that missing piece of the puzzle it takes to solve a crime. So stay safe. Don't pick up strangers in dive bars. And let's remember to be kind and look out for one another. So until until next time, guys. Bye. Bye.